Well, my name is Craig, and I have the humbling privilege of being the lead pastor here at Ross Road. I get to work with our elders and our staff team to help us work towards our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, and our vision of being a welcoming, Christ-centered community that glorifies God by impacting individuals and families near and far. It is a joy to work with our elders and our staff. You've met most of our staff already today, uh, but you haven't met Sandy Nelson, who uh, is our office manager. We also have an administrative assistant position that's currently vacant, so if you're interested in that, you could contact our office for more information. Courtney Rod is our video production lead and social media coordinator, and Graham Hoffs does our sound for us, and it's really a delight to work with our team. They do a wonderful job. Uh, it's also one of my uh, privileges to be able to preach God's Word regularly, and so we're going to do that today from Ephesians chapter 3. Now, if you were to ask me why I'm a pastor, I would probably have a, a number of things to say, and specifically if you were to ask why I'm committed to the work of the local church, I would have a few things I could say. I'd probably start by talking about a, a sense of call that God has placed this on my heart and orchestrated events in life that has led me in this direction. Uh, I might talk about how other people have affirmed me in this direction. Um, but probably if I was going to get a little bit more theological, I would turn to Ephesians chapter 3 before too long. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes something about the nature and purpose of the church that I find so compelling and so motivating that I am dedicated to the work of the local church. It's a, a truth that Paul writes that I hadn't actually seen until about five years ago when I ran across it and I thought, why have I not seen this before in all of my years of reading the Bible and following Christ? In fact, when we read it a little bit later, it's, it might be something that some of you have not really heard talked about a lot when it comes to the nature and purpose of the church. There's this, this really powerful thing that Paul will say about, about the church. I'll summarize it like this, and then we'll actually read it in a few minutes. I'll summarize it by saying the unity of the church has implications in this world and beyond. Now, before we get to what that truth is that Paul writes, I, I want to take a moment as we approach the fall season to take stock of where we're at, both as a church and as a society. You know that we've walked through a challenging time in the last year and a half. You don't need me to go into detail about all of the different challenges we've faced. The pandemic has brought up a bunch of things to us that we never saw coming, and none of us have any experience in dealing with a global pandemic, at least we didn't last March. And now we do, and of course, we've learned a lot along the way. There's been a lot of tension as to how we should think about things. And when it comes to COVID and the church, there's an added layer of complication to things, and rightly so, because as Christians, we think to ourselves, how am I supposed to think about the things that are going on in this world from a Christian perspective? How does my, my Bible impact the way that I think about things, and how should I respond? Now, this has made it a, an interesting time to be a pastor, to say the least. Uh, some of you have come to me and said, by following the, the government regulations and mandates, we are actually kind of giving up. Like, like, we need to fight for our rights. We need to be a church that fights. And if we give up our rights now, we're never going to get them back. Others of you have come to me and said, by not following the government mandates to the letter and following all of their recommendations as the health officials have laid them out, we are actually doing a disservice to our community. We're, we're actually being unscriptural 
and we're actually contributing to the spread of this disease in our society. And some, uh, each perspective and everywhere in between holds to a theological framework and a biblical perspective. Both sides can quote Bible verses to support why it is they think one way or the other. And if we're honest, if you're listening to this, you fall somewhere on that spectrum and other people who claim Ross Road as their home church would fall somewhere else. And so that can be a little bit confusing at times. How do Christ followers come to so radically different conclusions about the things that are going on? We, we've all learned things about ourselves and about others and about our church as we've gone through this. I mean, if I look back at this pandemic and if we had to walk through it again, there are things that I would do differently, both in my own personal life and in my leadership at, at the church. There are things that I've probably wouldn't do the same way. But one of the things that I've taken seriously ever since the pandemic began is that whenever I stand or sit to pr- proclaim God's word, to, to preach, I always have to ask myself, am I preaching God's word or am I preaching Craig's opinion? Because I really have no interest in presenting just my opinion. I want to present God's truth. Now, I have opinions. We all do. Some of my opinions I hold pretty strongly like, like you do. But it's always been my goal to say, what is God's word telling us? And how does this apply to the situation that we're currently in? Now, we've had to make decisions about how we understand things and how we're going to move forward and how we think the scriptures are informing us. We we certainly have, and we certainly will have to do so again. But it's always my goal to allow the scripture to shape how it is that, that we think. Now, as we come into the fall, we reach a critical juncture in the life of the church. And when I say the church, I mean our church, but I also mean the church at large. Uh, I think actually our church at Ross Road has handled the pandemic relatively well. I've heard horror stories from other churches of the great division and divide that has happened because of COVID. And I'm so grateful that our community hasn't experienced that to that kind of depth. Sure, we have different opinions and different perspectives, but we, we've by and large been respectful of one another and cooperated with one another in our common mission. But that's not the case in every church. And this is a critical moment in time for us to express unity. Uh, Philip Gunther is the uh, conference minister of the Mennonite Brethren Churches in Saskatchewan. And he wrote an article on the pandemic recently that appeared in the MB Herald And he wrote this, he said, In my tenure as an MB pastor and conference minister, rarely have I seen a greater need for peace and reconciliation within our own house. That's the kind of tension that he's seen in churches that he's dealt with. And so we're in a critical moment in time as we come through the fall and as we move into a different phase of the pandemic. Because the the pandemic has produced tension in a lot of different ways. I mean, just think back a few minutes, okay? When I started talking about the pandemic, what happened within you? (laughs) Did you feel a tension kind of rise within you? Did you feel your heart rate start beating a little bit faster? Did you start thinking to yourself, oh, I really hope he doesn't say this? Or conversely, did you think, I really hope he says this, and then maybe you thought, and I hope these people hear him say it. We all have this kind of tension that happens within us and between other people when we have different perspectives on how things are going on. Now, when I started thinking about the fall back in the spring and started thinking about what we were going to focus on as a church and what I was going to preach on through the fall, 
I started designing a series, uh, to use the more complicated term, on, on the idea of theological anthropology, which is basically, what does it mean to be human from God's perspective? Who did God create us to be as humans? So we were going to talk about things like sanctity of life, abortion, and, and euthanasia. We were going to talk about things like sexual uh, orientation and gender identity. We're going to talk about things like vocation and work and relationships, marriage and family and singleness. And those are all important topics, and we'll come back to them at some point. But as I continued to pray as we got closer to the fall, I said In my prayer, I said, God, what do you want the church to experience this fall? And I felt like God gave me a picture. And the picture was simply this. It it was like God was saying, the church needs a hug. (laughs) The, The church needs to feel my loving arms around them. They need to feel my presence. They need to know that I am with them, that I'm for them, that I am I'm seeing what it is that they're going through, and I'm giving them the strength to persevere. The church needs a hug. And when we experience this hug from God, we are comforted. But it also reminded me then that when we are in the arms of God, we are together exactly where we should be. And when we are truly experiencing that love of God, we're not focused on all the things that divide us, but rather we're focused on all of the things that bring us together. And so as I continued to pray through this picture, I felt like the Lord was leading me to Ephesians chapter 4, which is a powerful chapter that deals with the unity of the church. And this is what I want us to focus on over the next six weeks, is how we are united in Jesus in a moment in time where we very easily could allow ourselves to be divided. So back then to Ephesians 3 to set the stage for Ephesians 4. Remember I told you that Paul says something remarkable about the purpose and nature of the church in Ephesians chapter 3. So let's read that now together. It's in, starting in verse 10. It says this, His intent, that's God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is this purpose that the church carries with it? Well, it's that the manifold wisdom of God, that word manifold could also be multifaceted. Think about a a diamond or a gem with lots of different faces. If you were to hold it up and spin it around, the light reflects off it and bounces everywhere in the room. It's dazzling this, this display of this multifaceted wisdom of God that's so comprehensive and so deep and so beyond human wisdom. This kind of multifaceted, manifold wisdom of God will be displayed through the church to whom? Usually we think of the church's purpose as being a light in our community, and certainly it is. We are called to be a a light on a hill that, that, that people are drawn to. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to pursue justice and mercy in our communities. But that's not what Paul says here. He says that the church actually displays the wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In the spiritual world, beyond what we can see and feel and, and, and touch, there's this reality that Paul writes about many times in Ephesians of this spiritual realm where there are principalities and powers that are in opposition to God and actively work to oppose his purposes in the world. And yet through the church, God displays his wisdom 
to these powers in a way that makes it obvious to even them that God's wisdom is best. It's amazing. (laughs) This is what the church does. This is how the church is used by God. So how does this happen? Well, first we need to notice the, the language here is passive. It's not active. So the church is not actually being asked to actively proclaim that, that God's wisdom to the spiritual world. No, it's actually God using the church to display his wisdom to these principalities and powers. It's God's work. He does it. He shows them his wisdom through the church. But what aspect of the church does God use in order to demonstrate this wisdom? Well, if we back up into chapter two, we see that it's the unity of the church. It's the way that God brings people who are very different together into one new humanity. That's how God uses the church to display his wisdom into the spiritual realms to forces that are arrayed against him. So in chapter 2, we read about this division in in these days, the the division between Jews and Gentiles was front and center. So Jews were the descendants of Israel, God's chosen people. Israel was chosen to be a blessing to the world. And so uh, the the Jews are the descendants of of this people group. And Gentiles are everyone else, the nations, those who are, are not Jews. And Paul is going to write that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles have been made into one people group. So he says this in verse 12. He's talking to people who were Gentiles. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. You were godless. You were without hope. You were completely on the outside. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. He who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create one new humanity in himself out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Now, he talks in verse 14 about the barrier or the dividing wall of hostility. He's saying that both metaphorically, like the Jews and Gentiles were so divided, it's like there was a wall between them. But he's also saying it literally. In the temple, there were places where the Jews were allowed to go, but the Gentiles were not. And there was this little half wall that was built And it had signs on it telling the Gentiles they were not allowed to go any further. In fact, it said, no foreigner is to enter within the court. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. This is the kind of separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, there was a Gentile uprising against Jews in the mid-first century that led to violence. And this same feeling of ill will between the groups led Claudius to banish all of the Jews from Rome just a few years before Paul spent three years in Ephesus. So Clinton Arnold writes, for Paul to create integrated communities of Jewish and Gentile believers devoted to the worship of the one true God, the God of the Jews within this cultural context of tension and hostility is nothing short of miraculous. There is this amazing divide that Jesus said is now no longer applicable because there is one group, one new humanity, one new man. 
that has been created out of these groups that were diametrically opposed to each other. Now, did these groups still disagree on a lot of things? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's what a lot of the issues that we read about in the New Testament letters are about, is these things that were dividing people. And yet Paul says, through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, through his blood, which has been shed for you, there is now peace. If the power of Jesus can overcome that kind of tension, the power of Jesus can easily overcome any kind of tension that COVID produces within the church, can it not? And as that kind of tension is overcome and unity is experienced, God uses that to proclaim his wisdom into the spiritual realm. Amazing. Paul writes two things about unity in Ephesians, and we'll see them as we go through Ephesians 4. The first thing he writes is that unity is an accomplished fact. It's a done deal. Through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, it is completely accomplished, this unity between Jews and Gentiles. There is one new man. There is not two groups any longer. There is one. But then Paul also writes, make sure that you live in a way worthy of the calling that you've received. And oh yeah, you need to pursue unity in real life. So positionally, ontologically, in terms of who we are, we are united in Christ. But also, we need to live it out. Those are two things that Paul writes at the exa- that are true at exactly the same time. It's kind of like this. I've played a lot of hockey in my life. I played men's hockey a few years ago, and, and our team had, had bright yellow jerseys. We were united in yellow. Uh, positionally, ontologically, we looked the same. We went out on, we sat on the same bench. We went out on the same side of the ice. We were one. We were united. And yet our team was not very good because when we stepped onto the ice, our play was not very united. In our own zone, we had no idea what we were doing defensively. And so we didn't win a whole lot of games because even though positionally we were united, we didn't actually live it out. Once we went and got on the ice, this is the call to the church. You are united, now act like it. So we're going to study this uh, over the next six weeks. But for now, two things that unity requires and one thing that unity does not require. The first thing that unity requires is a focus on what we hold in common. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4. He says, starting in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did you catch the word one? (laughs) We are united by our focus on these common elements of our faith. One of those things is baptism. And in our live service on on Sunday morning, we're going to have three baptisms. We'll show them to you online next week. But Paul says our baptism is one thing that holds us in common. If you've been baptized into Jesus, you've been baptized into his body, into the community that bears his name. That's one of the things that holds us together. So unity requires focus on what we hold in common. Secondly, unity requires humility and love. Unity requires humility in love. In verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility recognizes that we don't always get it right. That even though I might hold an opinion on something happening in the world, I might not be right. Or I might not be seeing the whole picture. We only understand things partially sometimes. 
So if I could give some advice here on how we could practice humility and love, uh, it would be this. When you're debating COVID, please, please, please don't oversimplify opposing arguments. This is probably what drives me crazy the most on social media is when someone comes up with a clever one-liner or a meme that, that basically says, if you don't see this happening in our world, you're blind or you're not seeing what's happening correctly or you're not very intelligent. And I just think that's really not very helpful for having productive conversation about the things that are going on in life. People hold the positions that they hold, which are opposite to yours, for very good reasons. So explore what those reasons are and respond to them. It's human nature for us to try and, and sometimes demonize the opposite position in order to make our own argument look stronger. But it's not actually healthy communication. So stop oversimplifying things. And as we do this, as we express love to one another, try to experience the world through someone else's eyes. So sit down with someone, have a phone call with someone, and talk with them about why they think the way that they do. Yuval Levin, a author, said this uh, looking at the past year and a half. He said, we've had too much communication and not enough communion. It's a trend developing in the world of social media. Communication is overrated and communion is underrated. Communication is efficient but communion is creative, innovative, and restorative. So pursue that kind of communion with other people. Don't settle for just communication. Look for a way to connect with people. So unity requires focus on what we hold in common. It requires humility and love. Now, one thing unity does not require is conformity. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, later in Ephesians 4, Paul will say there are different roles for people to accomplish in the church, and it's those differences that actually help us to grow and to be stronger together. So there are different roles that we will play, but there's also going to be different perspectives. We're not all going to think the same thing. And rather than being afraid of that, I think we can actually lean into that. Uh, author and pastor Kerry Newhoff says this, if everyone in your church looks like you, acts like you, votes like you, believes like you, and thinks like you, you're probably not the church. Because the church is constructed of diverse people brought together into oneness in Christ. And so, yes, we will have to make decisions on how we're going to proceed with things. And some people will like the decisions and some people won't. But we don't need to be afraid of different perspectives and different ways of seeing things. And it also doesn't mean that we have to ignore those differences or sweep them under the rug and pretend like they don't exist. No, I think as Christ followers, we are capable of having healthy and productive conversations about these things in the right context as we're committed to one another and to Christ. So why am I committed to the local church? Why am I excited about what God is going to do here at Ross Road Community Church and what he is doing and has done? It's because the church, through the unity that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, it is used by God to declare his manifold wisdom in this world and beyond. And that's something I can get excited about. And the opposite is also a, a bit scary. How do the principalities and powers that are aligned against God actually win? Well, they win when we're not united. They win when we're divided. And so it's our unity 
That is so important for us to strive towards in a season like this. As we do, God will do amazing things. He will be glorified and his church will be built up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that through the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, we have this peace. We have this unity that has been accomplished for us. And Lord, we confess we have not always lived this out well. But we ask that your spirit would strengthen us to the task at hand. In, in a day in which we are very divided and polarized, would you come alongside of us in a way that allows us to be united with the mission that you've given to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.